Good morning. We are Kitabatake families, as he introduced us. And we are going to read Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 12, and 20 through 25. Love the Lord your God. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, their children, after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel. And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These are the commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children talk about them when you sit and when you when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on your door frames of your houses and on the on your gates when the lord your god brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when the, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised an oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Well, shall I close in prayer? Hard to beat being in the venue or here in the auditorium listening to a family listen, listening to a family read a chapter of scripture like that. Beautiful. Well, again, if you want to open to Deuteronomy 6 or swipe on your phone to Deuteronomy 6, that's where we'll be this morning. It's such a beautiful passage, isn't it? Just a gorgeous passage that I think begs the question for us, what is it that we want to etch on the souls of the next generation? What is it that we want to impress 
upon our kids or our grandkids? What is it we want to impress upon those kids that we have the privilege of coaching or teaching or mentoring? What is the heirloom, if you will, that you wish to hand down to those who will follow? It's a big question for all of us. And to be sure, this is a question that every person, be they a Christian or an atheist, perhaps you're here today, you're simply asking questions about religion. Great, so glad that you're here. You'd be here today, you say, I identify with another faith path, or I do identify as a Christian. Wherever you are, I have never met a parent who didn't want to be better. I've never met a parent who said, I want to be a lousy parent. Perhaps some are. But I've never met one who would say, I would be happy being a subpar parent. We hold this in common with everyone we meet, everyone in our neighborhoods, everyone here today. We would like to grow in this beautiful, terrifying, gratifying, important, challenging calling called parenting or grandparenting, again, mentoring, any of those. We use this word calling quite frequently in the church, but biblically, this is what is meant by calling. You'll see a few concentric circles up on the screen. I would encourage you, if you are in the business of taking notes, to copy these circles onto your outline. This is the biblical idea of calling, and it is critical as a starting point, as an understanding for what God would give to us as the center of our responsibility in this world. And the center of our responsibility in this world is what you call your primary calling. And your primary calling is simply the great commandment. It's to receive the love of God with an open hand and say, thank you, God. I will keep on receiving that. You give that to me. And then I will love others. I will love you, God, with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Deuteronomy 6.5 says. It's a primary calling, and then from that, as I receive from you, I will love others starting with my secondary calling, and my secondary calling is to be a husband to Susie and a father to Elijah and Silas. From there, I have a vocation that happens to be pastor of Carney E. Free Church. You have a vocation, but the centerpiece is loving God with all I got and then loving neighbors, starting with my own family. Starting with my own family. That, that is calling as it's defined biblically. And you always want to move from the center out as you think about calling. The most important thing that we do, my friends, as we talked about in week one in this series, Equipped to Lead, is receive from the kind heart of God. Again and again, constantly, on a day in and day out basis, that's the most important relationship. And then from there, we go out to our spouse, our kids, if we might have them. And there may be nothing more important in terms of what we do here on earth than being one of God's tools for the formation of a human soul. 
Here's how our next generation pastor, Kent Sunberg, puts it on a regular basis on the first Wednesday of the month at our family experience program, our FX program. That's coming up the first Wednesday night in October. I encourage you that have uh, elementary school kids to come here to that program well with, their, well with your kids. It's a wonderful time, fun gathering and equipping for parents. And he regularly says this, parents are the primary faith trainers of their kids, which is exactly right. The church equips, the parents train. The church equips, the parents train, but the parents are the primary faith trainers for their kids. We need to hold on to this, that Kent and Lindsay and Holly, who are doing the leadership downstairs, what they are is equippers. There used to be a day in the church, the church had far more influence in the life of the family, though, than it does today. But as less influence in the life of the family, as extracurricular activities have taken such a high precedent and homework has changed in American culture, right? Big time, okay? And the church actually has lower influence. Now, in one sense, that's bad. But in another sense, if we can embrace it, we can come closer to the biblical expectation. And the biblical expectation is this, I am nothing more than a quipper. I'm an administrator. I'm an equipper. It's my job to to teach and to equip. Remember, Ephesians 4.11, kind of this overarching verse for this entire series. God gave to the church pastors, teachers, evangelists, and prophets to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That the body of Christ would be built up for their most important relationships, for their most important ministries, starting here, I would say, with family. Now I want to tell you here this morning that the ideas that we're going to share today are applicable to everyone, no matter what your age or stage of life may be. I promise you these four ideas that I'm going to give related to equipping are related to all of us. There was a woman in our church who said to me just last week, just as a happenstance, I don't think she knew that I was preaching on this message this morning, and she shared with me that this passage, which we just heard, today was their wedding passage on their wedding day. Deuteronomy 6 is a beautiful passage for married couples. It's a beautiful passage and this is a message for those who have kids. This is a message for those who would like to one day have kids. This is a message for those who are disappointed by not having kids. This is a message for grandparents as they think about their grandkids. This is a message for those of you who have adult children. This is a message for those of you who are mentors over kids. This is a message for those of you who can spell the word kids. (laughs) Who's this message for? This message is for everybody. Okay, let's get into it. All right, first, first point on equipping. We want to reach for God awareness in our home every day. We want to reach up for God awareness, God consciousness, if you will, in our home every day. Look for ways to saturate your home in the truth of the Bible, saturate your home in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what it's saying here, starting in verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, 
when you lie down and when you get up in the morning, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, many Jewish readers later on would read this passage from Deuteronomy 6, and they took it very literally, such that they developed these prayer tools that they would actually put on their body to help them as they prayed to God. You'll see a few pictures of this up on the screen. One is called a talit, which is like a prayer shawl. And over uh, many Jewish men still today, if you went to Israel or to many urban areas, you'll see Jewish men with a prayer shawl over their shoulders or over their head. And on the edge of the prayer shawl will be Bible verses. And then there's this thing called tefillin, which is this uh, leather rope that they would rope around their forearm and it would extend all the way up to their forehead and on the forehead there would be a little box and inside that box would be a Bible verse that they bound on their forehead while they are praying. And then when you go into many Jewish homes today, sometimes you'll see this little box in the door frame of the house that's called a mezuzah. And a mezuzah is simply a box that would contain a little scroll in it which is like the family's Bible verse. The Hebrew scripture this family held on to, they say, when we come into this home, this is what we're about. Now there's something very beautiful about that, I find. Binding it on the physical locations in your house or even on your body, much as we might carry around a Bible verse in our pocket, be it on a phone or on a three by five note card, and we repeat it over and over again throughout the day. But I don't think what the Bible is talking about here is this wooden literalistic reading. Now, these Jewish men who do these activities, who use the teflon and the talit and the mezuzah, they are reading this passage from Deuteronomy 6 in the most wooden literalistic sense. But that's not really the wisest way to read the Bible. I mean, some things are to be read in a wooden literalistic sense, but some things are metaphors. That's why when we read Jesus saying, if your eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. Okay, I'm looking at most people in here have two eyes still. But I'm guessing most people in here have had their eyes cause them to sin from time to time. You read that metaphorically, didn't you? As you should. And so also we read the meaning underneath these passages in Deuteronomy 6. And the meaning underneath the passages is really very clear, isn't it? What he's saying is continually soak yourself in the truth of the scriptures. Put it in your mind. Put it in your heart. How do we make God the center of our home? How do we make it clear to our kids that God is a member of our family? Perhaps sometimes physical activities might help with that. I've heard from families in this church that will write Bible verses on their kids' mirrors to remind them this is who you are. Mm, that's good. Okay, physical activities like that could, could really be beneficial. But all different kinds of activities though, that we would do to teach our kids on a day-in and day-out basis God consciousness, God awareness, that he is all around us, and we would teach us about his radiant and beautiful character, that he is holy, and he is just, and he is loving, and he is pure, and he is gracious, and all these things about the character of God, and we would illustrate it, because all of life illustrates the Bible. Did you know that? 
All of life, you can find illustrations for the Bible every day as you're looking for them. All of life illustrates the Bible. So we look for these opportunities to teach about God from life to our kids, to our grandkids, to those that we might be mentoring. And then we look for opportunities to teach them what God says about them. Now what does God say about them? It says they're created beautifully by him. It says that they are loved deeply by him. But it also says that they have this little thing beneath their sternum, much as we have, called selfishness. And we need to teach them about that because selfishness puts little Johnny on the throne of his own life, where God needs to be on the throne of his life, on the throne of his heart. And we teach ourselves this. Now, fortunately, sometimes our kids will actually teach this for us. If you didn't know that, you probably don't have kids yet. But our kids will teach us about these things. And um, there's one that a woman uh, shared with me last week where uh, her four-year-old son was playing cops and robbers mom, many years ago and uh, going around the house telling everyone to raise their hand. And he came to mom and said, hey, lady, raise your hands. You're under arrest. Who are you calling lady? I'm your mama. Raise your hands. You're under arrest. So she played along. She raised her hands. And she said, officer. Don't shoot me. I'm a good person. I didn't do anything wrong. To which he stopped pretending for a moment and went up to her and looked her dead in the eye, four-year-old boy, by the way, and said, Mom, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is good but God alone, Mom. Yeah, he got it. Like at age four, he got it. Oh, that we are loved by God, and yet we are deeply selfish, and all of us have failed, every single one of us. I raised two hands up on the stage, every single one of us. It's a universal. We teach our kids this again and again, that they would understand the words of the Scripture, the truths of the Scripture for them that were needy for God. Now, how do you talk about these things with your family? How do you awaken them to God awareness on a day in and day out basis? Some families do a family devotional four or five, six nights a week. That could be a great way to start. 10, 15 minutes together, and we have a whole bunch of them that we list at carneyefree.com and our Next Generation um, Ministry website. You can get a number of devotionals downstairs in our kids' ministry. It's a great way to do it. All kinds of ways to develop conversation that helps facilitate God awareness. No one else is going to do it for us. I know of one family that did that throughout their kids' uh, elementary school and middle school years. Then when their kids got, got to high school, they went to the four winds called volleyball and football and theater and dance. And there was no time anymore, it felt like. And the kids were all over the place. So the father had the wisdom to institute something called 9 p.m. stair prayer. And no matter where you are, at 9 p.m., you better be here. And we're going to prioritize 9 p.m. in our house, and your friends might be home as well. But 9 p.m., your friends can join us if they would like. You might be in the middle of your homework, but you're going to stop that. And for five minutes, we are going to hold hands, and Father will share one verse, or Mother will share one verse, and then we're going to pray for each other. Sometimes necessity is the mother of invention. But there's wisdom in that. Think of another family I know who has like seven or eight sponsored kids through Compassion International. And they're not rich. They're a middle-class family living on one income. 
but they just choose that they are going to live generously for the poor. And the way they're going to do that is for these Compassion International kids, care for them holistically, both in terms of their physical poverty, but also their emotional and spiritual poverty. And so as a family, they regularly write to each of these seven kids, and they write in Bible verses to these kids that they are mentoring from afar on a monthly basis. And they pray over them, one each night across the seven days of the week. And the kids learn the power of compassion and generosity and the power of the scriptures as they engage in that letter writing. Again, this is part of how our kids will catch faith. We teach our kids in our home to give 25% of all they earn. We want our kids to understand from the earliest of ages that they are merely stewards of what God has provided. God is the owner of it all. We're merely managers. We're merely stewards. God awareness, we want to teach our kids. Now, it's both caught and it is taught. And both are absolutely necessary. People will debate which one's more important. Yes. It has to be caught and it has to be taught. But to be sure, if we teach this thing and we live that thing, it won't be caught, to be sure. There's a recent study in the Journal of Brain, Behavior, and Religion of 5,000 young atheistic adults. And it was looking at when these young adults lost their faith from any number of different faiths that they were raised in as kids. Many different religions were represented in this survey. And the number one reason that these 5,000 young adult atheists lost their faith is because they heard something and they saw something different as they identified. I mean, this is simple. I think we all know this, but it's backed up by social science. It's backed up. It's given credibility by a study like this. The kids intuitively sense that when we talk about things like loving our neighbors, but then we vilify people who disagree with us on social media. We are seen by our kids as clanging symbols. When we talk about staying sexually pure, and we don't, we dabble in things that are not for us, they see it, and they rightly resist it, and it hinders their faith. We long to see faith in action to pursue personal goodness, and to pursue the social good, and kids respond to that, well, when they see it. We reach for God awareness in our words and in our deeds every day. And then, we remind our kids what God has done each and every day. We remind each other, we remind our kids what God has done. As I'm teaching, though, this morning, let me just remind you that there are no experts in this room. There are no experts on this stage. I'm learning just like you are. I have elementary school kids, and I'm learning as I go. But I love the way this passage says, uh, remind yourself, Adrian, remind your kids what God has done. Verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and you're satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord 
who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What's it saying there? It's saying remember God. Give thanks to God for the many things that he does, big and small, all the time. Don't take more credit for your wonderful family than you should because God has provided things generations past that we had nothing to do with. And every good gift that we have ultimately comes from a regress across so many generations, all the way back to God, who gives every good gift. So remember what God has done. Remind your kids what God has done. The thing I love about Jewish history is they really did this. And if you read the Psalms, for example, you will see there's got to be at least 12 to 15, maybe even more Psalms, where all it is is a recantation a retelling of Jewish history, and then a thanksgiving to God. I I mean, so much of Jewish history is a retelling of the oral tradition that had been passed down to them generation after generation and showing the kids this is how God has provided in the previous generation. We will praise his works from one generation to another generation. Read Psalm 78, for example, this week. They didn't have paper so readily available, and so they told these stories, like campfire stories, again and again and again. And who knows that these stories in here are also our ancestors' stories. Do you know that? I mean, these are our spiritual ancestors. So when we say things like, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you, like, we mean it. We're his spiritual ancestors, This is our spiritual family, so we can tell these stories of God's intervention over the past. And then also how powerful, when families keep a record of how God has intervened over previous decades, and they sit their kids down and they say, this is when we lost our baby. And here's how God came through. This is when I met your mama. And here's how God provided to bring this wedding day to pass. Here's what happened when your grandma died and she went to heaven and we rejoice over that. Here's when I really messed up because daddy's not perfect, not by any means. Here's when I really blew it and I had to admit that I messed up and ask for forgiveness and I experienced the loving character of God to to forgive me and God saved our family. I mean, to tell these stories of the things that God does to our kids helps bolster their faith in a God who is living and active for us today in which we say, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. I mean, how much more God awareness would we have in our homes if we learned to brag on God a little bit more? That's what I see all over the Bible, people bragging on God because he's the great giver. How much more God awareness will we have in our homes if we learn to brag on him a little bit more? Okay, number three, we want to respond to hard questions with very soft answers. Hard questions, gentle, soft answers. Verse 20 goes like this. In the future, when your son or your daughter asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees, the laws the Lord has commanded you to keep. What's the meaning of all these? What's he asking? Why? Why do I have to keep these Ten Commandments? 
Why do I have to practice the Sabbath? Why would I give generously? Why do I believe that Jesus is the way to God? Why do I have to guard my eyes, Dad? What's the big why? Don't you love those questions? Okay, look what the Bible says. Verse 21. Tell your son, tell him, because the Bible says so. Because I said so, son. Tell him, because God's going to be mad at you if you don't do it. Tell him, because mama said so. Oh, no, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord provided in the past. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees, these ten commandments, and to fear the Lord our God for this purpose. So that, son, so that, here's the answer to your why, so that we might prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Because he cares for you and he's provided for you and he, he loves you and he, he wants a great future for you that you would, be, you would prosper. Here's why, son, so you would prosper. And if we are careful to obey all of this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Our God is so smart Like, he understands exactly what millennials need today. He understands that millennials ain't having because I told you so. He understands that Generation Z ain't having because the Bible said so. They're not. Now, the truth is, there is a time and a place to say, honey, I'm exhausted. I can't talk about it anymore. Can we talk about it later? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Why? Because these are our rules. There's a time and a place for that. But if that becomes the default, millennials aren't having it. They're just not. And I actually think it's good that they're not. Because learning to answer the why questions in a soft, gentle way equips us in our faith and equips them to be leaders in their faith. People don't become leaders by being prescribed what to believe. People become leaders by having good answers to hard questions. I am convinced that a big part of my job as father to Elijah and Silas is simply to keep the conversation going, to keep talking about all the difficult why questions that will come up, all the difficult how questions that will come up, to let them know that they will never be shamed when they come to me asking intellectual questions about, is the Bible reliable? Or intellectual questions about the intersection between faith and science. All of those are welcome, and I will never shame you for those questions, boys. I'll never shame my boys for asking me relational questions about girls and sex. I hope they come to me. I want them to come to me. I'll never shame them for asking the emotional questions related to depression and anxiety and politics and religion and race. Bring all of those on 
And let's have genuine conversations about the hard questions that you ask that perhaps I might answer them with gentleness, with softness, that we could keep the conversation going. You know what I'm saying? It is what we want to go at. No, I, I don't do it perfectly, not by any means. This summer I had a moment with Silas, my youngest, when he was asking me, why, 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 why? A hundred times why. And I just was like, buddy, I'm done. I'm done answering your questions. And I kept on trying to answer the questions. And he just paused and he looked at me and he said, Daddy, why do you have that mad look on your face? I'm like, Silas, I'm doing everything I can to pretend that I'm not mad. Now leave me alone. Like, we don't get it right all the time. None of us do. But we pick ourselves up again, and we ask God for forgiveness, and we commit to this as a lifestyle, even if we can't do it each and every time. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up dissension. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up dissension. Proverbs 15.1. Paul David Tripp, author of the book Parenting, who provided a parenting simulcast here several weeks ago, uh, said this, you will never threaten your children into lasting, willful, joyful obedience. You won't do it. You won't threaten your children into lasting, willful, joyful obedience. Why do I have to keep these rules? Because of the goodness of God to provide for you. Deuteronomy 6.24. That's what we just read. Because of the goodness of God to provide for you, that's why these rules. He loves you. He wants you to prosper, and let me show you how. Be a salesman for the awesome love, the wisdom, the patience, the strength of God. Be a salesman for it. For our kids to understand that it's the kindness of God that leads us and leads them to repentance is so very powerful. There has to be heaps of discipline, no doubt, there has to be heaps of love and grace, but we want our kids to understand that God is not looking over their shoulder like a stern judge trying to find out when they make mistakes. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Finally, I want to encourage you to resolve to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's repeat this aloud together. Would you join me? Resolve to keep the main thing the main thing. Decide in your heart. Come back to it again and again. This is my yes, therefore these are my no's. This is our main thing which we will commit to again and again that we will never fudge from. Verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Etch them on your children. Stitch them on your children. This is the main thing, my son. This is the main thing, my daughter, that I want to stitch on you. And we're always going to come back to this. And yeah, I would like to give you this entire book, but I, I probably can't. And so here's the main thing that I'm going to give you. And this is my heirloom for you, if you will. These are... The, the behaviors, the lifestyle, these are the practices that we are going to keep in this house again and again. This is the heirloom that I want to hand down to you. I like this idea of an heirloom. And I have one up here that comes from my beloved grandfather who died about 10 years ago. And uh, my grandfather taught me to read the New Testament for the first time. 
and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful man, a man of integrity and faith, and a faithful man to his wife and his family across his whole life, and he, he grew up through the Depression era and taught me how to work hard, and uh, it's his etching of his, his initials, John Anthony Tamaro. He was the son of an immigrant from Italy and wonderful man, and from time to time, I'll slip this on my finger as a reminder of that man, and uh, it's an heirloom that matters to me to remind me that, that this is what I gotta be about. I gotta think about my grandfather, and someday, one of my sons will get this. But even more than a ring of gold, what Susie and I have decided that we're gonna hand down to our kids, what um, will be the heirloom that we're gonna hand down, and again, we are far from there. This is just our North Star. This is us keeping the main thing the main thing. So please understand that whenever we talk about children or grandchildren or any of that, again, we are in process, but I'm striving for the process. And so that's the only reason that I would give you the, this example. Many years ago, well, we decided to develop a family mission statement. And so we put it and framed it on this with five key words based on the great commandment to love God and love others well with all that we have. And so we put this down and we put it up in our living room and we go back to this again and again throughout the year several times each year. Because if we're going to give our kids nothing else, we want to be sure to give them this. It's our way of keeping the main thing the main thing. And many times we fail and we need to pick ourselves out of our puddle of tears. But to have a North Star that we go back to over and over again, the boys, this is what it means to be a Boykin. That matters for us. What do you do to keep the main thing the main thing in your home? Let me just wrap up this message by uh, acknowledging the fact that whenever we talk about parenting, it's, it's really, really hard for many of us. And uh, I wanna tell you that God's special sauce is restoration. God is able to restore what is broken. And so there are many stories and many people circling in our minds right now. God is able to restore what is broken. God loves you, and God loves your kids more than we can. And if our kids turn out beautifully, we don't get all the credit. It doesn't work that way. And if our kids really, really, really struggle across life, we don't get all the blame. It doesn't work that way. The starting point of calling where I started today is this. God invites you to life with Jesus. And as you receive his calling to him, that's when your new life begins. And so also our kids will have an opportunity to receive or to reject new life in him. And we each have an opportunity to receive or to reject new life in him as the center point of our calling. And then to live out that calling, to live into that calling on a day in and day out basis from there. And part of the way we do that is by equipping ourselves. I just want to encourage you. If you're in a place of brokenness, well, with your kids right now, or you're in a place you're just struggling with your kids, you keep on praying and you don't give up because God is able to restore what is broken. And you commit yourself to doing the hard work where necessary 
of apologizing and forgiving wherever necessary. And you commit yourself to leading out of Romans 2, 4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And then we commit to praying some more. And praying some more. And praying some more. Father, we come to you in humility, acknowledging to you that we uh, really don't have what it takes to lead our kids all the time. And we want to be able to give our kids and our grandkids everything they possibly could need. But all of us fail from time to time. And you give us this amazing calling, Lord. You invite us to love you with all we got and love others as ourselves and to begin with our spouses and our children. And I just admit this morning that I am not equal to the task of the formation of a human soul. And so I ask for your help to me and to my wife. And I ask for your help to every person in the auditorium this morning, to every person in the venue today. The truth of the matter is all of us have influence in some child's life. And so we ask God that you'd help us to do the very best we possibly can to cultivate a God awareness in them, to remind them of the things that God has done, to respond to their very difficult questions with soft, gentle answers. And through it all, Lord, would you help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to keep the main thing the main thing, to receive your forgiveness and your love, and to move from there. It's through Christ that we pray together. And God's people say, amen.